welcome to another episode of Block Talk, presented by Theatre The Now. I'm your host as always, Michael Block. Now's the time to help us out, and there are so many ways you can. Subscribe, leave us a review, share your favorite episode, or become a sponsor. Or do all of the above. And as always, follow me on Instagram at MichaelBlockTalk on Twitter, and visit TheatreTheNow.com for latest news, reviews, and interviews. Drag artist, producer, curator, title holder, the list goes on. Say hello to the one, the only, Emmy Grates! Hi, everybody! How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Aside from the allergies, I'm doing great. Allergies suck. But it is tis the season to tis be sneezing. Yes. <laughs> um, you are looking fabulous today. Oh, thank you. This is a look, um, but uh, the audience can't see it, but your nails. Please my, describe your nails. My nails are... A pearly color with red stones on top, and I have red bottoms too. They're amazing. Because once I get my nails long enough, I like to paint the undersides red. Yeah, you. this is a trend-setting um, fashion moment here. Uh, I hope other people do this. Um, did you know Nails for Queens got the red bottoms ideas from me? <gasps> yeah. Hannah! Yes. Shout out to Hannah Spearman. We Hannah Spearman. She has, we've given her shout-outs many times on this podcast, but yeah. Um, we're going to talk about you. Are you excited to talk about yourself? My favorite topic. You're a drag artist. Of course you love talking about yourself. Yes. Well, we are going to start from the very, very beginning. And that question is, where are you from? I am from Mandalay, Burma. Um, it's also called Myanmar. I say Burma because it sounds better in the anglicized version. Uh, there yeah. are also local politics involved, but let's not get into that. Sure. Well, that that's another podcast. Yes. So... You growing up in Burma, what what can the audience learn about that experience? Um, it's a very traditional conservative Asian family. We have in, uh, spiritual influences from Buddhism and Hinduism, and also uh, influences from Confucian philosophy. So, like family structure is very important, but also at the same time, like a lot of Southeast Asian cultures, it's evolving and starting to get Westernized. So I grew up with a nuclear family with just my parents and my sister and me, but we stay connected with the grandparents mm-hmm. a lot too. Um, I wasn't necessarily a queer kid growing up, so like that was never an issue. But as I grew up, like the family kind of knew, but mm-hmm. also like it's like an unspoken topic. Sure. They're like. What's your son doing? And they're like, uh-huh, you know, living in New York, doing his own thing. Like, everybody knows what his own thing is. Yeah. But we don't talk about it. Well, let's talk about you coming to America. When did that happen? When did you move here? I came to the U.S. in 2011 for college. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to, I have a liberal arts degree in theater. I was in a college in Eastern Iowa for two years. I was really depressed. I wasn't doing well. I was homesick. I just came out um, during my second semester in college. No, actually, towards the end of my first semester in college. And I wasn't doing well, so I transferred to another school in southeastern Indiana. Wow, that's a journey. Iowa to Indiana. Yeah, Iowa to Indiana, Midwest. Um, So, like, I kind of identify with the Midwest, and when I meet people who are, like, in New York, 
I came from the Midwest and was like, yay, good for you, you made it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I, when I connect with Americans, I kind of don't talk about where I come from in terms of my own country. It's like, I came from the Midwest and I'm in New York and I'm a gentrifier. Yeah. So when you first moved to Iowa, was there much culture shock for you? Uh, culture shock, yes. But it didn't come in ways I expected. Um... I was always very articulate in English, so I was like, I'm going to have no language barrier, but there was still a cultural barrier, and what happened was because I was very articulate and I would never shut up, I get into, like, arguments all the time. Mm -hmm. And, like, it was the majority white student body, and I was in an all-male dorm, and there was a lot of clashing between me and the boys because they're mostly, like... Uh, we just finished high school, we're away from home, we're going to live our life however we want, and there's this weird foreigner kid, and we're going to tell you how to live your life on this campus because it's our campus. And I'm like, no, you don't <laughs> get to do this with me. You do not get to do this. And I wasn't necessarily making friends because I was still trying to be like a good boy and an Asian student. So like I, I was t- putting a lot of energy and effort into classes, um, but also like I just came out to my family. Well, I didn't actively come out. It's like I told my sister, and I was like, I knew she's gonna tell my mom. Sure. So I'm gonna let her do the job. Um. So like I wasn't able to talk to my family about being homesick, and on top of that, they wanted to talk to me about being queer, and I was like, I don't know how to talk about this. And the Gay Straight Alliance at school was not helpful either because the resources don't cross cultural and language barriers. Sure. Um, so that's mainly how the culture shock manifested in terms of like, not in terms of like food or weather or clothing, I could cope with those things. Yeah. So you studied theater. When yes. did theater enter your life? And how did it enter your life? Um... So, first and foremost, I wanted to be a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to be a composer. My first class in college was studying a very particular opera by Richard Wagner. Okay. Uh, it was a class that broke down the lore and the evolution of Tristan and Isolde from the medieval ages leading up to the 19th century. And through Richard Wagner, I was introduced to the idea of Gesamtkunstwerk, which is, which means absolute artwork, and the idea of it is different media come together to form a larger holistic piece of work, and I liked that idea very much. And I wanted to become an opera composer, mm-hmm. and I had a little experience with singing and piano, even though I did not read music until I got to college. Um, and my I've had experience with visual arts, too. I was actually sent to a graphics illustration course at the age of eight. Amazing! That's um, cool. Asian parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's how I got introduced to the idea of theater being this multimedia platform, but I wanted to approach it from the point of music. Um, but I wasn't doing well, and I did not quite get into the music program. First of all, like I did not have a background Mm-hmm. strong enough a background in music and getting into it was really hard for me 
and on top of that, I was depressed and having trouble communicating with people on campus and my family. And so I transferred. And the new school, the admissions people told me, yeah, you can figure out whatever you want to do with the music <laughs> program. And then I got there and it's like, the head of the department is like, no, we do not have a composition program. We have voice and we have piano and that's it. I was like, mm. Um, I also got into Butler University music mm-hmm. program in Indianapolis. Could not afford it. Sure. Uh, I also got into another program in Dallas, Texas for music program. I could not afford it either. But Indiana, I could, Southeast Indiana, Hanover College, I could afford it. I got there. And I was like, oh, this is disappointing. I moved. Well, at least I'm a little help, healthy and happier now. And I started doing theater there because, like, I'm going to explore this. And the professor told me, hey, maybe you can be a music major, but we can do something with theater. You're doing well. I was like, okay, let's go with this. Yeah. What kind of shows were you part of? Um, We are a Shakespearean school. So there was, like, one or two Shakespearean productions every year. And there would be, like, one experimental show and another one from like classic literature sure. and theater history um so i've done the importance of being earnest several times naturally um oh i actually tried to write music for the theater and mm-hmm. i was also a stage manager i wrote music for the importance of being earnest and then i got offered an internship because a summer stock company wanted to use my music and i was like hey give me a job there you i'll go. write music for all your shows there you go and what, what so, company? Uh, two big productions. Okay. It was based in central Indiana, outside of Bloomington. And I traveled to New Mexico. And I, was, I did summer stock. And I also taught children's theater there one summer in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I started drag, that was. Um, and... I was also stage manager there. I was writing music. I was running boards. And I also did like some acting, but I was leaning more into stage management. Nice. That's what my degree is in too. I got to, I did that for many years and then I was like, nope, this is a thankless job. I'm over it. Bye. It is a thankless job, but, but also I'm a control freak. So, so am I. So am I. Everyone that kind of it. like works out. Mm-hmm. It's like, Absolutely. You don't thank me, but I control everything. I walk out the door and this show falls apart. Exactly. Did you piss me off? Maybe I forget to set your prop. Yeah, no, I understand that. But I feel like for me, and I, I feel like uh, probably the same for you, the knowledge and experience as a stage manager is great as a producer and curator. Yes. Yeah, but we'll, we'll talk about that soon. We'll get into that. We have, there's a lot I want to talk about. When and why was New York your next destination? Uh, so... Summer 2014, I did theater. Mm -hmm, Summer 2015, I thought I was going back to the same company. And then they were like, we had to hire somebody else during the year to help with the productions. And they're going to come with us for the summer. We're sorry we're not going to hire you again. I was like, shade. Um, And it came like last minute. So I was like, I'm going to New York to see drag. Yeah. Also, like I started drag in the fall of 2018. Fall of 2014. And let's talk about drag a little bit. 
How would you describe Emmy in three words? <laughs> oh, I love this already. Mm. Mm. Legend icon and superstar. There you are. Uh, no, that's, that <laughs> doesn't necessarily describe... I ask myself questions like this all the time, but whenever somebody else asks me, my mind goes blank. Um... Um, geez. This is hard, right? It's hard. And this, what's funny is, like, I ask this question to everybody, and pe- some people just blank. It, it's it's hard to want to describe yourself. But yeah. no, I feel like artistic is definitely something that I would describe you as. I would say I'm insightful. Absolutely. Um, and also quirky. Mm-hmm. And I'd say fun. Yeah. yeah. I like this. What is the origin story of your drag name and persona? Uh, so I started drag after I transferred schools and I switched majors. And this, the theme of like moving from one place to another looking for new and better things has been like a theme in my life. So like I moved from one country to another. I moved from one school to another. I switched from one major to another. And drag is like the next step and it's like gender exploration yeah so it's like this is going to be a theme and i want to hold on to the word emigrate so i basically split the word in half but it's been like a thing at the back of my mind before i started drag because one of my friends i got introduced to drag in a sociology class on gender diversity and my first show was actually a drag king show. Oh, tell us about it. Um, my first show was a drag king show in Iowa City called The Icy Kings. And they perform at Studio 13, uh, which is the home bar of Sasha Bell from RuPaul's Drag Race. Right. Mm-hmm. She cracked the code. Um, she cracked... <laughs> <laughs> um, I never got to see her there. No? Oh, that sucks. I got to see the drag kings there. So, like, drag was never about, like, female impersonation to me. And because I approached it from textbooks, it was like... It's about forming gender. So like, I had to see drag kings. And one of my friends asked me, what would your name, drag name be? And I came up with the name Emigrate. And then the idea of emigration mm-hmm. and the act of it kept happening in my life. I was like, yeah, this is me. Yeah. How long does it take to transform into Emmy? I can do my face in 45 minutes. Nice. And I can look good. <laughs> and I can do my face in three hours and I can look great. If I do it between one hour and two hours, I don't like how I look. Interesting. I don't know why. Interesting. Okay. So like, if I do fast drag, the muscle memory takes over. And it's like, this goes here, this goes here, this goes here, this is how I blend. Done. Oh, this is fascinating. I've never heard this before. Okay, I love it. Yeah. And when I like go to like a three-hour mark, it's like, I want to try something new. I want to finesse this little part. I want to do this to this little part. And at the end, it's like, I have reached a new state. Yeah. Uh, but like in between, it's like, kind of like the muscle memory starts going in, and then the laziness takes over, and it's like a sloppy end. Valid. Do you have any um, traditions you have as you get ready? I shave. <laughs> there you go. I mean, some people meditate. Some people play their tracks. Shaving, that's important. There, there are queens who don't. So, <laughs> And they do it on purpose. Um, um, 
how about let's get you some like sponsorship. Do you have any favorite makeup products that you use? Cody Airspun! Uh powder hard. Oh, this is actually a tradition. And you know you may know this from my Instagram. Before I go out, I do a one minute lip sync video. Mm-hmm. And it started out because of my glitter brows. Selfies don't capture it well and it's like videos. You can edit pictures, you cannot edit videos. Facts. This is how it looks in the light. This is what you're gonna get. It's true. Who are some of your inspirations in drag? My inspirations in drag, uh, before I came to New York, I really love Lady Bunny. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And Katya. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also Bianca Del Rio. So, like... Queens of Comedy. Queens of Comedy. But also, at the same... At, back then, I did not necessarily see myself as a funny person or a comedy queen. I was like, my drag has a serious message. I have to be serious. This is artistry. But those queens are... Like at the edge of my peripheral vision, reminding me like it should be fun too. That is important, and I mainly admire them because like I looked at them like, oh, you're doing something I cannot. You're just so hysterical and funny, and you also make political statements. And after I came to New York, I got exposed to more people. I very strongly gravitated towards Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, who feels like a next generation of Lady Bunny, Bianca Del Rio, and then Bob. Yes. And also Sasha Valor. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the privilege of doing the old nightgowns at Bazaar Bushwick before yeah. Sasha got on Drag Race. Um, I actually met her around the time she started nightgowns and the drag magazine. And also later on, right now, I am. I look up to Untitled Queen mm-hmm. and Chris of Her and Mocha Light, um, who are like the early pioneers in Brooklyn. And in Manhattan, I got very closely acquainted with Miss Cracker, Monet Exchange, and Judy Darling. Yeah. Um, and also, some, my absolute favorite right now, well, she's been a favorite for a while. Fifi Dubois. Fifi's amazing. Fifi is always a delight to work with. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of hers. Who were some of the first people to help you out on your drag journey? My drag journey started with me playing cross-gender roles mm-hmm. on college shows. I would wear like my little three-inch heels on campus, little booties, and wear like eyeliner and lipstick, but I also... I never really got into makeup that much. I just wore them because I wanted to. And one of my professors was like, hey, do you want to play this role? I'm going to precast. It was like, okay, I don't have to audition. I'm in. Um, <clears throat> and from that, it evolved into like, hey, here's a specific monologue you can do as your character. And that's how I actually started doing drag under the name Emigrate. Yeah. Um, and the costume department found me a local drag queen. Uh, shout out to Chelsea Nicole Stevens, my drag mother. Uh, Miss Gay USFA was no, not Miss Gay USFA. Miss Gay Wisconsin, twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen. Um, instead of stepping down, she competed again and won. <laughs> oh wow, that's that is a power play. That's a power play. 
Mad respect. Uh, I once told my brunch co-host, Lady Barrica Andrews, about my drag mother being a pageant queen, and she's like, I don't believe you. <laughs> I showed her the picture, and I told her the story, and I was like, yeah, that's your mother. Um, they found her. She works in southern Indiana and Kentucky, and she competes in pageants in the Midwest. She recently competed in um, Miss Gay USA, I think. She came to campus and taught me how to paint. It was a very classic pageant beat with uh, the Neapolitan contour, brown, mm-hmm. pink, and white. And it was also the time of RuPaul's Drag Season 7 when the pretty gold trend started taking over. Yes. So like from the traditional pageant beat, I started experimenting with, experimenting with more products and started fine-tuning to more like internet drag. Yeah. Well, speaking of competitions... Yes. You took part in a little thing called So You Think You Can Drag? Yes. Oh my god, throwback. Hi, Pace <laughs> What was that experience like for you? Um, I actually loved it. I went in wanting to win, but also like I could not keep up. The challenges were interesting, but I started finding myself finding ways to cop out and do easier things instead of like going full out and doing productions Mm -hmm. and i think that competition kind of requires that yes so it's like this is not working and at the same time i was preparing for gre Mm -hmm. so at, at one point i was like this is taking too much time and energy and money out of me and i need to work on the gre so i ended up quitting the competition um but it was a fun time. I got connected with more people. Um, I the first my first roommate in town was Gina Tonic. Mm-hmm. I lived with her for a month, and I was also very close to Gilda Wabbit. And I also got um, to know uh, Apocalypta mm-hmm. from uh, Elko and Bella Noche, Adriana Trenta, Gloria Swansong, uh, who I'm still very very close with. And it's also one of my favorite people in town, favorite performers, favorite artists in town. Yeah. Would you say the connections were your biggest takeaway from the competition? Yes. Yeah. And also, like, it introduced me to a different kind of pageantry. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's it's not necessarily pageantry in the sense of, like, Miss Gay USA or Miss America or Miss Continental, right. but Re- it's like... It's the it's New York world of yeah. pageantry. It's the theatrics of drag. Yeah. Yeah. So you do this competition, you get some gigs in Manhattan a little bit, and then you start to venture over to Brooklyn. Yes, I kind of had a little break between taking the GRE and the next spring. Actually, no. I got my first hosting gig with Gilda Wabbit at Boots and Saddle. Yeah. Rest in peace. We miss that place. <laughs> uh, also, rest in peace, Beverly Leslie Sills. Oh, Beverly! Uh, <laughs> now Gilda Wabbit. Um, and it was like going like a regular gig, and so like I wasn't paying much attention to the other the things that were happening in town. And then we got fired from Boots and Saddle, as does everybody else. It's true. Um, and I was like, I don't know what I want to do next. And... Also, I was living in Brooklyn at that point. So I started going back out in Brooklyn 
because my first summer I was starting to frequent Williamsburg but I didn't get to explore fully sure and I started getting into the Bushwick scene and I was also starting to do more political drag and it was 2016 so people wanted me for like specific shows with specific messages I got booked in like some punk shows and got to explore my drag more and explore more much more different aesthetics yeah this is probably a question that people hate to answer but how would you describe brooklyn drag oh fuck this is also a question i've thought about answers (laughs) to and now i'm blanking again um i feel like the brooklyn scene came about in contrast to the manhattan scene yeah so i feel like there is a deliberate distancing from the theater scene. Mm-hmm. But Brooklyn relies on its own, like, a different kind of dancers. Sure. And performance art, people from those backgrounds, people from visual arts backgrounds. A lot of Manhattan drag, I feel like, comes from the performing background of theater. Yeah. But the Brooklyn drag comes from a different performing background of, like, punk and grunge music and performance art and contemporary dance and media and there's some and yeah. like m- multimedia uh, so I feel like those are the things that inform um, Brooklyn drag right like I don't necessarily want to say like Brooklyn uses this kind of music because there's overlap in the Absolutely. music usage yeah. between Manhattan and Brooklyn like I see some people do theater pieces in Brooklyn but like they contextualize Mm -hmm. it differently it's twisted yeah yeah though you are no longer the current reigning you were the winner of Mrs. BK what did winning this title mean to you and how has it changed you as an artist um so starting the summer of 2017 I started producing A+. Plus. Right. Which we'll talk about shortly. A+. Plus. So I've always looked up to Sasha Velour in terms of her own performance and the way she curates nightgowns. And F, like she won Drag Race in summer 2017. And Drag Race ended and there was an empty, empty spot at Bazaar Bushwick in terms of shows. And I ended up having a conversation with Mocha Light during afters about um, Asian queens. Mocha is part Asian. She's mm-hmm. part black. And she was telling me, Asian girls don't get to get together and work a lot and be themselves. You and Pearl Harbor, who's also another brilliant queen in Brooklyn, should collaborate and create a space. And I was like, Sasha Velour won Drag Race on the platform of like community yeah. engagement. And I want to champion what she represents. And so I took up that and started A+. And in November, I started doing Last Month Tonight um, based around the idea of the audience should get to know the artist more than what they do on stage. So we have a conversation during set one, get to know each other, 
it may be centered around a specific topic or about general things that are happening and then we do numbers so like the audience gets to know the artist talking shop on stage and then seeing them do a number yeah um so i've been doing those things and also i started doing brunch and i started going in my own direction of drag in terms of um engaging the audience and the artists beyond what's on stage so like when it's a plus it's queer people queer asian people who are also artists sharing their work with the, their work and their experience with the audience and also with last month tonight it's queer artists sharing their lives and their experience with the audience and that led up to the message i delivered at the end of miss brooklyn it was about me being estranged and away from home but finding community and engagement in the scene and the victory was like a reward for that and a formal recognition of that yeah makes sense you've had the opportunity to perform on some pretty big stages as you mentioned with Sasha Valor's Nightgowns and Bushwick what were those performances like for you and how did you go about picking the material you did because, I mean, I was at Bushwig this past year. Yes. I remember that very well. That l- moment. Mm-hmm. I had it on film and was not prepared for it. <laughs> I wasn't prepared, but I got it on film. I've been wanting to post videos, and I was like, <laughs> I can't. I don't know how to video edit to cover my little crotch area. Because <laughs> um, it was a moment. <clears throat> that crowd was dying for you. Yeah. Um, jeez. Whenever you ask a question, I was like, I trace back for a long way and then come back. <laughs> um, it also has to do with like the many steps in the journey leading up to this. I really believe in the idea of like we stand on the shoulders of giants. Yeah, and sometimes we pee on them. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um. So 2017 was very much about me finding my place in this new American culture that I'm experiencing and in the larger context of the world, where I fit in, how I came to be, what my relationship is with other people and society in general. And 2018 became about me exploring my relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and that Bushwick number was very much about, like, my relationship with my body. Because, like, people come and go in my life, but I have to stay with my body and I have to be okay with my body. I have to be in love with my body. So it's, like, the idea of, like, my heart will go on (laughs) for this body. Yep. (laughs) And, like, one piece after another came off. Till it's just the body. Uh, and I think it worked because the act was very simple but layered. And I had to pick something like that for the Bushwick stage because the audience is so huge and you need something that gets the attention mm-hmm. and keeps them engaged. And keeps them remembering you. Yeah. 
like on the surface level, it's a pop song that everybody knows yes. and can sing along. On the second level, it's a s- stripping number. On the third level, it's about my relationship with my body. Right. So I think like you can engage the number from any level you want, and it can stay in your mind. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about A plus. Yes. Um. So you're the producer of the show. Um. It is the Pan Asian Drag Review. Why is this show important for the landscape of New York City drag? Um, I wouldn't say just New York City drag. I would like to say, like, for any drag scene. Sure. Well, I mean, do you have hopes to bring it nationally? Like, do you want to tour it? Yes, I've been... Let's do it! Put it out in the universe! Listen, I have been, like, planning to take it to Boston because Boston is a college shout and wherever there are colleges, there are Asian international students and Asian local students. I went to Boston University. That is very true. Listen, moving A-plus from Brooklyn to Manhattan has been great because we got access to NYU. Yes. And Columbia. Uh, We actually have somebody who comes in every month from Princeton. Oh, cool. Yeah. You have super fans. I have, I'm, I'm so happy. I'm so proud of this. <laughs> it's my baby. Um, okay, question, back to the question. How is this important? Um, whenever like a layperson audience sees an Asian drag performer, an Asian drag artist, there's like a specific stereotype that's like ingrained in everybody's mind. Sure. Of like, this is what you do. This is who you are. Or like a direct connection to a drag race girl. Like, if you're small and dark and brown, it's Jujube. If you're like large and pale, it's Kimchi. If you're like tall and skinny, it's Manila. Um, so like the idea was like, if you stand alone, it's going to go back to these larger cultural icons and stereotypes and figures. But like, if you put all of us together in a room, it's like, who's who? The differences start to show. Yeah. <clears throat> and I also wanted to highlight um, the importance of diaspora. Like, we're queer, we're Asian, we're artists, but our experiences are very vastly different. And there are audiences who may have had similar experiences with us that don't have people to look up to or connect with and I wanted to bring them together like one thing Mocha Light said in our conversation was Asian girls have to play by stereotypes a lot like whether embracing them or rejecting them we have to talk about them all the time but like when it's a space of all queer Asian people that doesn't matter anymore yeah we can talk about other experiences. And with A+, we've had um, people from different areas of the world. <clears throat> um, I'm from Burma, from Southeast Asia, and I came here as a college student, and I am now an asylum seeker. And there are people who um, came here for college, um, but have the privilege of going back home to wherever they came from. Um and there are people whose parents came here and they didn't get to know their where the parents came from. Mm-hmm. Like, um, we've had Dynasty whose parents are Vietnamese war refugees in the U.S. And we've also had people whose grandparents came and their parents 
are Asian and another race and they're mixed. Mm-hmm. And there are also people who are from the African Indian diaspora and the Caribbean Indian diaspora. Uh, so the lineage traces back to the continent, but like the experiences the family lineage has gone through are vastly different and the cultures they're immersed in are different. And there are also like people who are part Asian who I invited to the show and they're like, I don't feel, com- I've never felt comfortable about embracing my Asian identity, but now I can do this. Yeah. So like the experiences vary. Yeah. You, and you've had some really incredible artists share that stage from all over the scene. From New York, from Brooklyn to Queens. I'm, I'm to, very proud. To Manhattan. Yeah, you, uh, recently, I had Yoko Oso from Miami, Florida. Mm-hmm. And I love her. Yeah, it, it's a really, really great show. For me, when I went to go, it's it's a celebration. It's, it's a, it's it a, is. It's a, it's a party. It's a family affair. And I think it's a really great show, and I'm really excited to see you keep doing it. Yes. And honestly, like... I mentioned it. Like I, my question was going to be: Do you have hopes to bring it nationally, internationally? Yeah, I would like, love like, to. Like, I've been trying it. to take this to Boston, and like the coordinating and finding a space is so hard when I'm not there physically. Yeah, like I have to like entrust people to um, go out and look for spaces, talk to management, and then report back to me. And we all need to have like conference calls, and we need to figure out payment. Producing is hard. Sure is. Well, I want to talk about your other producing endeavor, which is Last Month Tonight. Yes. Um, how did this show come to be? Um, I was really inspired by Ragamuffin's failure, um, where she picks like an abstract topic and performers do acts around that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been like conversations on color, um, rage introspection um but for my show i wanted to go in like a different direction and ask the performers to talk about whatever they want but i end up booking people who may have things in common to talk about because the conversation goes so much smoother that way um this month we are talking i have three musicians uh, Will Sheridan, who is a hip hop house artist yep. and a DJ from Brooklyn, a Brooklyn legend, a former basketball player too, and we have Adele Computer, who is a comedian turned drag rapper, uh, bearded queen, beautiful, extremely hysterical, and uh, an indie pop artist, my friend Aaron Lindenberg, and we're gonna have s- some conversations about making music where it comes from and what it's like navigating a queer music scene. Yeah. And I've had um, the House of Jam with Lady Quesadilla and her daughters. We've come together to talk about what it means to be a drag family, how you stay connected, how you connect with each other. And um, I've also had conversation on how um, queer non-binary gender non-conforming people navigate the scene in and out of drag like navigate the scene and outside the scene too like how what it's like to not pass at any time um what other things have we talked about 
um, this coming July, I want to get together like queer migrants of color and talk about what it means to be American in this day and age. Yeah. Because like 4th of July is coming up. Have you considered recording the, the, the first part of the show and turning it into like a podcast piece or YouTube series? Because when I did go to the show once and it's a really great dialogue that you have. And I feel like, yeah, it would be great to get the people who aren't able to attend the show to hear the conversations. Yes. Um, I'm not ready to invest yet. And the That's conversation's also very chaotic. Valid. That is very valid. Um, but what is next for the show? I, I see that you're moving uh, venues. We're moving to Club Coming. Congratulations. Yes. Uh, and I want to start booking more non-drag artists. Mm-hmm. Um, just like expand beyond like drag and venture into queer art in different media. Yeah, like drag is very multimedia, and I will always have somebody in drag on the panel besides myself. Um, I want to make more connections. I want to book like Ellen coming one day because I'm at his bar now. Exactly, and you know what? I'm sure he would say, "Yeah, let's let's look it happen." Are you want you want to play a little game? Sure. We're, we're going to play this or that. Very okay. simple. I'll give you two things. You pick the one you like. Yes. Left or right? Left. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. One best friend or many good friends? Many good friends. Katy Perry or Taylor Swift? Oh. <laughs> Katy Perry. Fight or flight? Fight. Nachos or pizza? Nachos. Brains or beauty? Both. All right, all right. Rap, <laughs> rap or opera? Opera. Leather or lace? Lace. Winter or summer? Winter. And finally, Drag Race or Dragula? Drag Race Thailand. There you go, there you go. <laughs> okay. I want to go behind the music a little bit. What is your signature number, and how did it become your signature number? Ah! Ah! Um... It's all coming back to me now by Celine Dion. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, you have a lot of Celine Dion in your repertoire. I do. It kind of started out. It it started out because I really love Celine Dion, and people kept joking about it, and I kept digging deeper. <clears throat> so, um, it's all coming back to me now. Is my signature number? Uh, a lot of people do it, but I. I used to sing it live. It never clicked. <laughs> I used to sing it as a duet with Gilda Webbit. It was okay. Naturally. But it never clicked. But then I started doing Last Month Tonight at the Rosemont. They still had a piano back then when I started. And I was like, for the closing number, I was like, I'm going to do this number. And I'm going to do it on the piano for all seven and a half minutes of it. And I'm not going to leave. And I'm going to see how it goes. And people were somehow invested in this. And I was like, yeah, I'm perfecting this. And so I started doing it at brunch every Sunday. Um, we started brunch at Bazaar Bushwick and they had a piano there. So like I started experimenting with stripping during the number. So like wig comes off, jacket comes off, I break a pearl necklace, shoes come off, and the end... And I collapsed, and I ended up taking it to nightgowns. Yeah. And I love it when people can sing along to a number. Um, mainly because, like, when I'm performing drag, I very much believe in a middle ground. 
because drag and queer art is about changing and shifting perspectives and you need an entry point yes. and music that somebody already knows is a very good entry point mm-hmm. and then you can take them on a wild ride anywhere exactly where do you find your inspirations when you create your mixes and pieces <sighs> I very much look back to the past, um, my childhood, or my recent heartbreaks, um, and like I said, it's, I've felt, like I said earlier, I talk about being insightful, and I came, I come from a Buddhist background, and I value meditation and introspection, uh, so I look back and especially when I look back at my childhood, I missed out on a lot of my childhood because I was always like preparing to go on a grand adventure to the western part of the world. So I was taking computer lessons, art classes, swimming, um, those kinds of things. And I didn't get to like play with my peers and like be on my own. And so like when I come up with numbers, I lean into a childlike mischief. Sure. And that's where it comes from. What is one of your most requested number that you wish people would stop requesting? I don't wish people would stop requesting, but I feel bad whenever they request it because I can't do it as often anymore. I do Marlon Mandela's Part of Your World. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... I flop around on the floor like a beached whale for two and a half minutes <laughs> oh of God. the three minutes in the song. And like I go, I like drag myself across the floor with a tip bucket and it makes so much money and everybody cries laughing. But I can't do it every week anymore because it fucks up my body. Yeah, it take my care of yourself. Hips and my knees. I was actually posting on Facebook today, like, other drag performers hurt themselves by doing shablam after shablam. Mm-hmm. I hurt myself by dragging myself across the floor for two and a half minutes. Hey, gotta make your money somehow. Yeah? We're gonna play Tea Time. So is- you are going to spill some tea, share some stories on some of your favorite sisters, friends, colleagues, maybe some en- enemies, who knows? Is this the podcast version of Look At Her? Sure. Yes, very similar, very similar. Okay. But most of the time, I'm, I'll be real, and everyone knows who listens, everyone says they're going to be mean and spill some tea, and they're just nice about everyone. You decide if, how you want to do it. Okay. And we are going to start with Ariel Italic. <gasps> oh, what do you want to know about her? Um, I love all the names that she calls me. Um, she calls me the chaotic evil of Brooklyn Drag. <laughs> <coughs> I feel like I'm more of a chaotic neutral, but I'll go with it because it sounds more exciting to be chaotic evil than chaotic neutral. And also, she once called me, Emigrate is what would have happened to Lady Gaga if all 100 people in the room did not believe in her. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's That is the best read I have ever had anybody throw my way. Next up is Lady Berica. Lady Berica and I very much click because we are both chaotic. I feel like she's chaotic good. And she also has that childlike mischief to her performances. And like we feed off that energy off of each other. And sometimes to the point of annoying Ariel. Yeah, that's fun. 
Yeah. Next, we have Kiko Soiree. Um, I met her through Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor recommended her for A+, and she was just starting to do drag. And her comedy is so offbeat, and she makes awkwardness so funny. And she seems to come with, like, a new original song every month. Um, She's had this one song that starts out as, like, an elaborate futuristic sci-fi story and ends up about eating ass. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) And uh, she recently did this number about being infatuated with um, a Latin co-worker when she was working at a restaurant and she sang in Spanish. And most recent one is she talks about being a rat in the subway and getting adopted by lesbian moms but missing the trash life. Wow. This is art. Yeah, it's It's so transcendent. (laughs) Next is someone you had mentioned, Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor! The first time I saw her was at Nightgowns and I was infatuated. I was like, this is amazing. Which number did you see her do? Um, it It was Nightgowns right... The first nightgown since Sasha was on the show. She didn't hadn't won yet. It was at um, uh, National Sawdust. Was it the Annie Lennox number? I think so. With the suitcase? Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Uh, Pearl Harbor is also a very like insightful artist and a very powerful performer. And I look up to her a lot. Um, she doesn't make many appearances, but like when she does, it has like punch mm-hmm. and she tells the story very earnestly and <clears throat> um I'm not sure about the details she I think she waited like three years to join a grad program in poetry at NYU because she was having to deal with immigration papers especially uh-huh. with her parents on the brink of deportation right and <clears throat> I don't know how to put it to words. I, I love her, and I love her work. Yeah, she's great. Next is someone who I've only met once. I'm obsessed with her social media presence. You've shared a billing with her, and her name is Bombalicious. <gasps> Bombalicious. Um, her looks always kill. I, she's amazing. She's amazing. She's also, like, the nicest mm-hmm. person. And also under, like... All that makeup, her body is fucking ripped. Is it? It is. Oh. And she's like my height, five yeah. four. She's she tiny. Uh, at first, I didn't know she was um, Filipino because like she would like wear blue contacts and wear blonde wigs. And she was like, "Hey, I'm coming to New York. Do you have any books?" And like, I only have A plus. I'm not sure, but but like I I don't know about other books. And she's like, "I'm Filipino." I was like, "Okay, you're in." Yeah. She's someone, because I have a lot of friends in D.C., uh, who they all say if there's going to be someone on Drag Race, it's Bamba. Yeah, I feel like she is ready to go on. And recently she actually went to the Philippines on vacation. I was like, are you going to the Philippines or the Philippines? <laughs> and I was like, if you're going to the 
the Philippines. Tell the people about me. Yeah. Now, um, there's one, like, you know how YouTube does those casting rumors or casting wishes. Her name keeps on popping up recently, so we'll Yeah, see. she deserves to go on. And especially after her appearance just now with DragCon <clears throat> with that fucking gold look. I think people noticed. Do you remember, like, her first uh, Dracon New York look where she was, like, this crocodile? I don't know if I saw that. This uh, past year? No. No, then I probably the, 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 the first Dracon. Probably not. I, don't, I have to not go this see one. it. I have to go find this yeah. look. It's, is it amazing? It is amazing. Like, um... She did the crocodile look in... No, it wasn't a crocodile. It was a cobra. Sorry. It has... Like, the whole giant snake head. I think I have seen the cover then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And also she did the full, like, goat look with, like, goat legs. <laughs> she crazy? She's and, crazy. like, she uses Filipino designers. Oh, yeah? Nice. Yeah. And, like, she has some, like, sh- stuff shit from the Philippines. And whenever she comes to New York, she packs looks. Uh, she and her husband drive up here, and they come with, like, four suitcases. So, I'm like... I want you to get on Drag Race, but I also want to know, like, how you're going to pack all this. That is tea. Like, that, yes. Even just if the things she wore this weekend. Insane. Like, she's going to bring, like, five, how case, get those wigs? five cases, but they're going to be, like, giant boxes. Yeah. Shangela size boxes. Exactly. How about we talk about Untitled Queen? <gasps> Untitled Queen. She saw somebody I have no words for. Uh, she's very emotive, and she's a New York native. She was born and raised on Governors Island, mm-hmm. and she's half Filipino, half Puerto Rican, and she has, like, built a huge platform on her, on her own. She kind of stepped back from doing weekly gigs and do rare appearances now. But like she works on larger projects, pro- larger projects. She has done artist residencies, and she recently did her own solo show at the Rosemont, and she's working on another. And she started the Brooklyn Ball last year. I was honored to be part of it as one of the featured artists. Um, last year's theme was Strawberry Fields. This year's theme is Leaves of Grass. And it's a benefit for Kellen Lord. Amazing. So she does a lot of community work. Yeah. Next is someone who left us for the West Coast. It's Poppy. What about her? <laughs> I actually didn't get to know Poppy that much, but uh, I think you got came to last one tonight mm-hmm. and saw Poppy. And then when you were at her show at the West End. Yes. When you did sleep, yeah. Uh, Poppy <laughs> is also a kindred spirit because she has that, like, childlike wonder about her work. And she's, like, this, like, little petite dainty lady. And then she goes ham on stage. And I live with that kind of bullshit. Yeah. Next up is someone who's a dainty lady. Vanadu. <laughs> she got tits now. She's not dainty anymore. <laughs> she does have tits. She bought those tits. Um, Vanadu, I love how she's committed to having fun in drag, and she does, like, a very Manhattan mm-hmm. drag, but she's also a very big fan of Brooklyn drag, and she, she would, is. like, pop up time to time, and, like, just, like, watch drag, and my favorite memory of her is her dropping by at Christopher's Persons, 
and coming to chat with me backstage and she started a conversation with Chris about Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. We know that Vanna loves Dolly Parton. Just a little bit. A little Chris bit. of her is also nuts about Dolly Parton and they went on for like half an hour nonstop about Dolly Parton. And she was still seeing Kenneth back then. And like Kenneth and I just like <laughs> sat on a bench and stared at them while I was eating Popeyes. There you go. We love Popeyes. Next up is another V name. It's Virginia Thick. Virginia Thick. <sighs> she's really great to work with. She came up really quickly and she's done yeah. a full West Coast tour with La Zavaleta. Mm-hmm. And she has a very strong vision for her drag. Like her makeup just like keeps evolving. Yeah. She I think her makeup and Seraphim's makeup are the most interesting things that are happening on the west side of the river. I agree. But like I told that to Virginia and Virginia's like, I work mostly on the east side of the river and I was like <laughs> <laughs> I was like, You're welcome. I brought you into Brooklyn. <laughs> Uh, and she's been really committed to A+. I met her at Polish the Queen, and I could not tell she was Asian. And she's like, it's okay, not all of us are that smart. I was like, damn, <laughs> bitch. Um, and she be- very quickly became part of the team because she was very invested in the in um, in the project. Yeah, she's Like great. when like, somebody comes and does a show, and they are like invested in the show more than just a booking and the money, I make sure to like, keep them around and invite yeah. them. And I'm a big fan of hers. Well, here's another queen that has gone through the iconic system. It's Mrs. I don't know her. Ah! Uh, I actually haven't seen much of her, to be honest. But I got to work with her on Cabaret. She was a stage manager. And she was really accommodating to all of us actors. Um, we didn't have much of a pay and the hours were long. And she kept us all together. So thank you for that. She's wonderful and a sweetheart. Well, from Mrs. to Martyr. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, what's going to happen? Next. <gasps> That's it? No, it's nothing. okay. Uh, I love Martyr. Um, Martyr talks to me in the late nights. Uh, we complain to each other. We complain about each other. She's my girl. Um, I also like to say she's my son. <laughs> yeah. How about we talk about Sweaty Eddie? Gross. 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 Um, Sweaty Eddie and I get booked together a lot. We have very different aesthetics, but like we also work together very well at the same time. Uh, Sweaty Eddie also has that chaotic energy. And he has that chaotic energy and manifests in very gross ways. And I try to present like really glamorous and beautiful and then like bring out the chaos. And when we're together on a bill, like the cast kind of makes more sense. (laughs) Yeah. Next we have Max Pleasure. Max Pleasure, uh, my husband and everyone else's husband. 
he's also really great to work with. And my favorite memory of Meg's Pleasure is the two of us taking car rides together because we often end up going to the same shows and I always ask him for car rides back. He's sober. He has a car. He's my best friend, mainly for those reasons. <laughs> there you go. I take advantage of people. We talked about this next queen a little bit before, but let's talk about Gilda Wabbit. Gilda Wabbit. Um, she helped me a lot in... I, that car alarm is going off in the background. I know, there's a car alarm. bothering me. I know, we're going to kill someone. I don't know if people are going to be able to hear it in the podcast, but oh my god, through my headphones right now, I'm like dying. Oh, it ended. There you go. It's almost like Gilda was <coughs> summoning us. Gilda car alarm. Um, Gilda Wabbit is also one of my favorite drag performers of all time. Oh, it's starting again. Ah. Jesus Christ. Gilda Webber, I love you. Uh, I met her on Grinder. Of course you did. Who no, had... no. Here's the thing. Okay. I met her on Grinder when I was in college. In I was in southeastern Indiana. She was in she, Louisville. Of course she was. So like it was on the in the countryside, so it could reach like fifty miles around. And I was like, this faggot looks like they're a drag queen. I'm going to talk to them. Yeah. And. We became friends before I came to the city, and one once I moved into the city, it turns out she lived close by, and we would hang out almost every day, and she helped. We would talk about our work a lot because she's somebody who has a lot of vision and idea about her own work and where she wants it to go, and I also have ideas about my own work where I wanted to go, and we would like bounce ideas back and forth, and she would give me really helpful feedback on my work because she has we're both like very into music and she has a trained ear right because she has a full degree in it and she would give me feedback in terms of perform not just music but in terms of performance some uh so i got into she gave me a full understanding of finding a purpose in performing are you doing a performance for yourself are you doing a performance for the audience? Is there a middle ground? Um, so nowadays when I perform, I think if I do this act, am I a better person for it? Is the audience better people for it? Um, better can be defined loosely. It can be as simple as, did we have fun? Yeah. Not Or like, did we have an epiphany about life and the universe. Um, but like, if it doesn't take us anywhere, maybe I won't do that number. Yeah. <laughs> Next we have Gina Tonic. What about her? Uh, Gina Tonic and I are like on and off besties. Uh, she's been problematic in the past, but and. She's been problematic in the past, and she will not listen to anyone. But I can always trust her to learn and grow on her own, and I find that extremely admirable about her. But also, she should listen a little more. Um, and she hasn't 
been working in the bar scenes as much, but she's been carving her own market. She's been touring um, through New England, and she goes to LA, and I think she's also been to the Midwest. Yes. And she's a great businesswoman, and I also admire that about her. Yeah. Next, you have to talk about Gloria Swansong. <gasps> uh, Gloria has been instrumental in my gender journey. Uh, she has a great understanding of her own gender and how gender works for different people. Yeah. Something she likes to say is like, oh, everybody has their own gender. So like, nobody can really dictate how you express yourself and how you feel. And that has allowed me to open up to generally how people navigate their lives in general because um, I like to say in a world wait let me trace back because I think of drag as an art form that uses gender as a medium Mm -hmm. and in a world where everything and everyone are aggressively gendered anything can and anyone can be drag yeah and Gloria has allowed me to have that understanding for myself and for other people. And I thank her very much for it. Yeah. Next, we have West Dakota. West Dakota. Um, I wish I were closer friends with her. She's a really cool person. And... She kills it with every performance. She can, like come up with larger scale looks and larger scale performances she can come up with like smaller scale looks smaller scale performances but like every time she gets on stage it is magic yeah literal magic everybody feels it yeah and finally I have to ask you about Acid Betty Acid Betty Acid Betty is intimidating but also really 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 great to work with and has the best intentions for the people she works with. I don't know about other people, but she has the greatest, best of intentions for the people she works with. Yeah. And she's extremely professional. My first experience with her was the first round of Miss Brooklyn in 2018. I went up to her to say hi, and she was like, you're Emmy grade, right? Before I said anything, I was like, wow, you did your homework. Mm-hmm. And like, important. you've only seen pictures of us but you know who we are. And, like, she's extremely cordial with all the contestants, and she accommodates everyone. She's, like, really mean on mic, but, (laughs) like, she makes sure, like, everything is in order before she goes on. Like, when she's being mean on mic, it's deliberate. Yeah. So, like, I can take it. They say drag is political, and we should use our platform. You recently shared a very insightful post on social media about sexual assault on the national and local level. Why was this conversation important in today's landscape? There's your microphone. <laughs> um, it's a thing that happens all over all over the place on all levels yeah. and 
feel like the way we've been dealing with it is by sweeping things under the rug. And people have been more open to talking about it. Um, at, I mean, at least the victims, they've been open to talking about their own experiences. And like bystanders have been more willing to come to the aid of the victims and believe the stories and give them resources and support. And I think we we really need to do more still. And there has been like no proper protocol when it comes to how to deal with people who've been accused of assault. Um, like we kind of talk about it from like legal persecution, which right. would be like retributive justice. And there's also on the other hand, um, reparative justice where the person who assaulted actually makes amends to improve themselves and reintegrate into society. And because we're not having more open conversations, neither of those things can happen. Like, um, in terms of like things that have happened in the scene, Um, one of the people who assaulted has this history of being abusive towards their partners one after another and don't seem to be willing to change but also like at the same time people are afraid to talk about it so he's still kind of out there working mm-hmm and holding a platform. And I think that can do a lot of damage. Yeah. I don't know if that's coherent enough. No, that's coherent. I like that. With so many types of drag, how can we celebrate all styles of the art form in the mindset of all drag matters? I think we need to step back from... A business mindset when it comes to drag um, and it's kind of hard to do that because a lot of us do this as a hobby but also this is something that requires a lot of time and effort um, and money mm-hmm. and some all drag matters but some drag have more entertainment value. So those are more often rewarded financially. Sure. And in terms of like platforms. But like if we can have events and platforms where we can just enjoy and not worry about if the performers are making money, if the audience is spending money, I think it would be a much more enjoyable experience. Yeah. Because, like, I feel like drag is supposed to be this, like, subversive art form that is a commentary on society. When it becomes a business integrated into a capitalist society, the ones that don't have 
capitalist value yeah kind of like slide back into the shadows sure so fuck capitalism who would play you in the movie of your life scarlett johansson <laughs> i did not like on that one <laughs> you know what she would probably accept the role too if you had to pick one New York City queen to be your partner on The Amazing Race, who would it be? Okay, I don't know much about The Amazing Race. Basically, you and a partner travel around the world doing challenges anywhere from like jumping off buildings or eating weird food or things like that. And who and the winning team gets a million dollars. Just one million dollars? <laughs> right? No, it's crazy to think, like, back in the day when the show first started, like, early 2000s, a million dollars was a big deal. Now we're like, just a million? Yeah. Like, you'd think they would up it with the inflation Just a million rate. dollars? Is it, why is it not $100,000 or less? Uh, <sighs> Who would you want to travel the world with? Oh. And make silly television? I would go with Gloria Swanson. But that- she needs to... But, like, she's vegetarian. Well, it, w- it would not be that much fun if we can't eat everything. Well, you have to figure it out. You have to make it work. We'll, we'll figure it out. Gloria, let's go. All right, so we're going to move into the Pop 5 Rapid Fire, where I'm going to give you five pop, pop culture things, and you're going to give me word, phrase, story, whatever you want to talk about. Word association? Sure. It's whatever you want to talk about. <gasps> I'm not ready. First is Adam Levine quits the voice. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, he quit The Voice um, because... I didn't know he was on The Voice. Yeah, for eight years. What? Yeah, eight years he's on the show. He quit oh, the... no, I was thinking Adam Lambert. Never mind. Oh, no, Adam, Adam Lambert. Levine. Okay. Adam Levine quit The Voice because he didn't agree with last season. Okay. He wasn't, he wasn't that good at the halftime show, right? No, he was horrible. Okay. Horrible. Next. Next is James Holzhauer crosses the two, two million total mark on Jeopardy. Who's that? Just some guy who's oh, Jeopardy contestant. Jeopardy. Good for him. Yeah, I wish I was that smart. Next is Trump's pride shirts. Oh, gross. Right? Why is he doing it? How dare he? Next is Celine Dion carpool karaoke. Oh, um, about time. Yeah, and also like. Meets, expe- meets expectations and beyond. Yeah, I think for me, my favorite part was when she started singing Baby Shark. Yes, she uh-huh. can make anything dramatic. And I'm currently holding my Baby Shark because I'm obsessed with Baby Shark and I love Baby Shark. Um, and I would buy <laughs> Celine Dion's cover of Baby Shark. And I hope she records it. We'll see. I hope it happens. And finally, Drag Race Season 11. Um, just like the end of Game of Thrones. Oh, God. I am okay with the people at the top right now. With most of the people at the top right now. Uh-huh, but I'm not uh-huh. okay with how they got there. Okay, that's valid. I'm, I, I, I support that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a question from one of the fans. Uh, this is a question from Pussy Willow. Oh, hi. Her question is, which New York City queen would you kai kai with? <laughs> there are way too many. <sighs> I find a lot of my friends attractive. All right, let's go with that. Yeah. DM Emmy and then you'll yeah, find out. Yeah, DM me. 
So I, I have my previous guest ask my current guest a question. Yes. And this is a question from Carrie Kerning. What, Hi, Carrie. She's amazing. What artist or song specifically do you hate doing du- during a drag roulette? Oh. I'm going to say Beyonce. That's fair. Do you get yeah. Beyonce a lot? Not necessarily, but one time somebody threw formation at me and I was really mad. And I feel like they did it on purpose. (laughs) Don't ask for formation. Don't do this to me, please. Well, now it's your turn to ask my next guest a question. Who's the next guest? You don't get to know. Oh. That's the fun of it. Uh, Where do you see your drag this time next year? Love it. I love that question. Well, if you've gotten this far in the podcast, use hashtag Emigrate. Where can we follow you on social media? You can follow me on all social media at E-M-I-G-R-A-T-E underscore D-R-A-G. That's Emigrate underscore drag, including Venmo. Send me money. Thank you. It's there almost you the end of the month. It's true. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. The biggest thanks to Emmy for coming on. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or Stitcher and leave us a review while you're there. If you have any questions or comments, drop me a line at theaterthenow.com via our question link. Until next time, I'm Michael Block, and that was Block Talk. Mm-hmm.